carjacking is a, a felony, but selling a child for sex is not. You propose this legislature in the Senate and it passed unanimously. In the Public Safety Committee, it got shut down. That's where good public safety bills go to die from both Democrat and Republicans. There was a big backlash from the public, right? Californians did get outraged. They put it out on social media and it went far and wide. And then the next morning, I got a call from the governor. My guest today is Senator Shannon Grove, the author of SB 14, Child Sex Trafficking Law, initially rejected by the Assembly. She'll take us behind the scenes and tell us what's going on in California legislature. This is a true insider's perspective. I would challenge everybody to watch the last few nights of session where they cram through hundreds of bills that have just been crammed through the building and how it's done. It's very disturbing to think that these bills are traded for other bills. It's pretty eye-opening and pretty scary. I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Shannon, it's great to have you on. Welcome. Oh, thank you. And thank you for covering this subject matter. There was a law that you were involved with. You proposed this legislature in the Senate, and it, it passed unanimously in the Senate, and then it went to the Assembly. In the Public Safety Committee, it got stuck. It got shut down, and then this, the, there was a big backlash. I don't know if it was from the public. From what we are hearing, there was a big backlash from the public, and then it caused the, the leaders to get involved. The governor got involved and reached out to you. Can you tell us what happened with this law? So absolutely, it actually started two years ago with SB 1042, which is a bill I introduced that covered all of sex trafficking, regardless of age and labor trafficking, um, because we have a huge labor trafficking problem here in the state of California as well, our poorest border, our ports, um, and so it covered everything. They killed that bill in the Senate. So we came back this year, narrowed the bill, and only had it cover sex trafficking. Then when we, to get it out of the Public Safety Committee in the Senate, I amended the bill even narrower to only cover sex trafficking of children. So the bill got out of the Senate, SB 14, um, goes to the Assembly, not one no vote, the public in the Senate, there in was the no, Senate, everybody wanted to. Everybody voted aye. And I even have co-authors from the, the Senate side and the Assembly side now, but back then when it was in the Senate, um, the Public Safety Committee Chair, Senator Wahab, is a co-author of this bill. It only narrowly covers sex trafficking minors in the state of California, and it creates it to be a serious felony. Um, we didn't think we were going to have a problem. Out of the Senate, upper house, 40 votes, no, no, no votes, and no abstentions. We get to public safety. So everybody voted yes on this one. It was Senate. on consent. Consent, meaning that they took up 40, 50 bills and they said, all these we agree and there's no opposition. Let's get them off the floor to the assembly side. And they took that bill up on consent and it went to the assembly side. And it went to public safety where it died. What happened there? Can you explain to us what happened? Yeah, we had the same witnesses, Des Perkins from Empowerment, Jenna McKay from the Jenna McKay Foundation. A lot of survivors came up and testified. Same presentation we did on the Senate side. And then we talked about all the co-authors. I think at that time we had about 30 co-authors. We have 62 co-authors now, Democrat wow. and Republican. It's truly a bipartisan bill. And we get to the Assembly Public Safety and this, the Public Safety Committee Chair, Reggie Jones-Sawyer, says, you know, I, I just am not comfortable with this. It affects black and brown communities disproportionately. Uh, we talked about Figueroa Street and how we had met with individuals, a uh, coalition against human trafficking, where 70% of the women in their shelters are black and over 50% of the children on the streets there are black here in Los Angeles. And so our goal was to rescue those victims and send the perpetrators that are keeping them out on the streets and selling them for sex 
into prison for a longer period of time. Uh, their ideology, or even though they agree that sex trafficking is a bad thing, especially of minor children, they don't want to put people in prison. And if you look at the committee comments, the chair specifically said that there's no evidence to show if you lock somebody up in prison for a longer amount of time that it helps them. Well, sometimes it's not about helping them, it's about keeping them away from society. And um, so that's kind of why they killed the bill. So after that, did you think the bill is going to die? And there was a yes. big backlash from the public, right? So we walked out of that committee hearing with our survivors, all these women, parents, children, uh, our witnesses, and we're crying and consoling each other. And I'm sorry, you know, we got blindsided. I'm not sure what happened, that kind of thing. And, and then um, that evening, my phone started blowing up. And then the next morning, I got a call from the governor, and he stated that he was very disappointed in what happened. Um, at the Public Safety Committee, and I affirmed his disappointment. I said, me too. And uh, the next thing I know, it started going out. Um, his disappointment was conveyed by the media. And then uh, Speaker Robert Revis reached out, and within 48 hours, the same committee that killed the bill passed the bill on Thursday, so now it's in Assembly Appropriations. Do you think it's because of the backlash from the public? Because there's this movie, Sound of Freedom, that's mm -hmm. going around, and you think this created a backlash and the backlash caused the leaders to change their mind? Absolutely. Um, Californians, Elon Musk tweeted about this. Tim Ballard from The Sound of Freedom tweeted about this. It was Elon Musk's tweet was something like, um, WTF, Sh Shannon Grove CA, this is not a serious felony. You know, it's Elon Musk, right? That's what I, yeah. uh, everyone <laughs> is wondering. How is this not a serious felony to begin with? Everybody asked me that. We've done uh, several hundred media interviews, whether it's, you know, with newspapers or podcasts or like we're doing here. And they're like, this is a, a no-brainer. How is this not a serious felony? But it's not. So it's a fallback serious felony, which was one, again one of the chair's arguments that it's already a serious felony. But selling the child for sex is not the serious felony. You have to use force, coercion, wow. brutality, dismemberment, maiming, torture, then it becomes a serious felony. But my bill is really simple. It just makes selling the child for sex the serious felony. And so the Californians did get outraged. We had 75 plus organizations come out, major organizations, Zoe International, Three Starrens Global, the Jenna McKay Foundation, Empowerment with Des Perkins. You know, we had a lot of people that were already engaged in this bill over the process of the last three years. And they put it out on social media and it went um, far and wide. And then Californians started, you know, I'm sure the governor saw the media backlash and he engaged, the speaker engaged and um, called the public safety committee hearing and uh, I think ma basically made Reggie Jones-Sawyer pass this bill to appropriations. This was not normal, right? This doesn't it's usually happen normal. in California. I've been there since 2010. I've never seen it happen, <laughs> especially with a Republican bill. I mean, the governor of the state of California sided against his own party with a Republican. I've never seen that happen. So he really stepped up and did the right thing. And you know, uh, there's thousands of bills that every year, there's, yeah, last year, we had 997 bills passed. Yes. And, and there's a lot that got rejected. 3,000, I think 20, 2,770 bills are introduced this year. And, and some are getting rejected that yes. are very similar to this bill, you know, in the yes. assembly. And they got shut down and nobody talked about them, right? So I think that, you know, used to, they used to have investigative reporting. They used to have reporters that sat in these committee hearings that covered the Capitol. We don't have that very much anymore. And I think that this backlash 
allowed the people of the state of California to get, like the curtain was pulled back over this public safety committee in the assembly, and it actually gave people a sense of what happens. When you think of bills that fail, um, there was a recent article where uh, Sheriff Cooper out of Sacramento, the sheriff of Cap Sacramento, who's a former Democrat assemblyman, had introduced bills about rape of an unconscious woman, rape of a developmentally disabled person, sex trafficking. They've been trying to get this bill passed that we're passing now, or that's gone the furthest since I think uh, 2007, They've, or 2001 was the first time it was tried. But it's been introduced several times and it's never got past this public safety committee. And um, so even Sheriff Cooper, who used to be in the legislature, did an interview that said he's tried numerous times to get good common sense public safety bills passed and they just all die in this public safety committee. So I think California's got a glimpse of what happens in Sacramento. What is happening there? For us that are not there, you're there, you're dealing with the people. Uh, how are the people that are making these laws, what are they thinking? You know, I don't know if they're just complete ideolog ideological uh, affected or they make decisions based on their true belief system and they understand a, a different viewpoint and they carry that viewpoint with a, you know, a torch and a mantle. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have an explanation for it, but I can tell you that, like in public safety, if you take fentanyl, you know, all these fentanyl deaths, there's been 5,220 plus fentanyl deaths. And when you think about it, and common sense legislation has been brought forward to address it both by Democrats and Republicans, all of them have failed in the Public Safety Committee. There was a bill brought forth by Senator Umberg that had, I think, 30 or 40 co-authors, both Democrat and Republican, and it was a simple bill to let the judge warn you. If you sell fentanyl and people die from that and you get caught, if you do it again, you can, not will, but there is a possibility you'd get charged with murder. It was a warning, Bill died. Um, Rainbow fentanyl targeting our children, Bill died. Janet Wynn down here from Orange County um, had a bag of Smarties, those little tiny colored candies, and a bag of that would kill 500,000 people, and wow. that's not an illegal, that's not a serious felony to have possession of that because of the way that the drug laws are written. She tried to change that, the bill died. A rape of an unconscious person, the bill gets amended to a point where it's innocuous and doesn't even put rape of an unconscious person in, in prison for a long, they're just really adamantly against three strikes or additional prison sentences. What about your colleagues like uh, that you talk to in the, in the Capitol? What do they think about all of this? Do they not pay attention to all the laws that are not passing and dying, or do they pay attention to this public safety committee? They do pay attention, and I think a lot of them, Democrat and Republicans, are frustrated. I mean, I have 62 co-authors, and my bill to, to create a strikeable offense for people that sell children for sex in the state of California has 62 co-authors. And Scott Weiner out of San Francisco voted for my bill on the Senate side, and the Public Safety Committee and the Assembly killed it under Reggie Jones-Sawyer's leadership. So I think there's a, a frustration, because that's where good public safety bills go to die, um, from both Democrat and Republicans regarding this Public Safety Committee. Now, at the same time, we are seeing videos, like I, I don't know if you've seen this video, but there was like a, there was a car that pulled a lady over and they were coming to her with the gun to, to carjack her. There's a lot of things happening in the Bay Area, in Oakland, and across the state that crime is looking like it's going through the roof. 
What are your thoughts on that? Looking are you guys like for it? Is, it is going through the roof. You, um, you look at carjacking and go back to carjacking. Carjacking is a, a felony, but selling a child for sex is not. Um, you know, uh, domestic violence. It's illegal in the state of California for you to beat your wife under domestic violence, but not your, you know, what if you beat your neighbor's wife? It's, it's, it's just the laws have changed so much that they don't actually protect public safety. Look at our retail stores, um, you know, smash and grabs. They're going in and they're stealing product and you have stores closing in San Francisco and Los Angeles because they can't afford to have the product just fly off their shelves. And there's no way to prosecute these people because of Proposition 47 and 57. They labeled those things as a lie to Californians as, you know, safe schools and safe neighborhoods. There's nothing safe about that. We are not safer today because those ballot measures passed. When the lawmakers, and, and you, you work with some Democrats as well, you know, you've been working with them. When you guys are looking at proposing legislation or, or discussing legislation, how much do you guys pay attention to data? And where do the data come from? Like, right now, do the lawmakers believe that crime is up or, or do they think crime is okay? There's no... So some of them, Democrat and Republican, believe that crime is up and they introduce good crime bills. Again, those bills die in the Assembly Public Safety Committee. There's been lawmakers that have, there's a Democrat, like I said, that introduced a piece of legislation of rape of an unconscious person because we've seen that that's a huge issue and because there's no serious penalties for that. Um, there are people introducing, you know, crime bills on grand theft and they die in public safety. So, and it's Democrat and Republican bills that die there. I want to make sure that everybody understands that this is not a partisan situation where just Republican bills are killed. This public safety committee is where the real story is, I think. Are you guys getting worried about, because you guys know a lot more than the average people in California and you know which laws have passed and which laws didn't pass and what the trends are. Are you worried about where we're headed? Uh, so on our caucus, the Republican side of the aisle, we are very worried about it. And when we have caucus meetings on Tuesday, we talk about it. We talk about the aggressiveness of homelessness, the, um, the aggressiveness of what's going on in our BART systems up in San Francisco and the public transportation systems. We talk about, um, you know, when you look at, you know, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle always say they care about poor and disadvantaged communities and people of color, but those are the people in the state of California that I feel are are suffering the most because it's in those neighborhoods that these severe crime situations are taking place and yet we don't have the Democrat support in the Public Safety Committee to protect these communities. What do you think, uh, where do you think we're headed based on what you guys see? It's, I think it's, we're in a, in a huge, downfall to lawlessness in lawless society. And we're gonna run ballot measures. I know that there's a couple of ballot measures that are hoping to be put on the ballot about retail theft. Um, you know, we're looking at if, you know, this bill dies, there are uh, Proposition 35 passed a few years ago and it had the highest voter, um, voter turnout and the highest voter participation rate to make human trafficking a crime in the state of California. So we think that we can run a ballot measure and have an end run around the legislature if they don't you know, pass this bill. I think if we get this bill out of appropriations, um, then we'll be able to get it to the assembly floor and we have enough co-authors on the assembly floor that will pass the bill and get it to the governor's desk and he's already indicated, obviously, with this situation that happened in public safety that he's willing to sign the bill. Are you concerned with stock market volatility? 
markets closing in on their worst year since the financial crisis. Two of the major indices had their worst day since 2020. U.S. financial markets had their worst day since the start of the pandemic. Do you really trust this economy? News are growing that the U.S. economy could be headed for a recession. Inflation soaring to its highest level in nearly 40 years. Prices for gas and groceries are so high. Inflation sending already sky-high prices soaring even higher across the board. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a higher fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there is no loss of principal if you need your money back. And absolutely, there are no fees. Just log on to investverify.com. Folks, I personally invest my own money with Verify. Log on to investverify.com or call 888-VERIFY24. Now let's go back to the interview. Aren't the other lawmakers, the people that are not really concerned about public safety, do they think that they're going to get reelected, or do, do they think that people in California are fine with all of? I think people, they're realizing there's a turn. You know, the pendulum always swings, either right or left. And I think it's gone so far that it is swinging back. You had a public safety member or another legislator. You've had legislators jump on this bill after it was killed and the whole episode happened where the public was aware of what was happening. We had people calling us from, you know, obviously we already had our caucus, but from the Democrat side of the aisle that wanted to jump on this bill and be a co-author. Let me be a co-author. I want to make sure everybody understands I'm with this bill. Human trafficking is, is a vile, horrific crime, and I want to make sure that they understand that I'm here to protect children. And so we did have several um, co-authors on the Democrat side of the aisle. It increased us from, I think, 41 to 64 or 62. We're at now, we might be at 64, depending on who's signed on in the last couple of days. This might be a hard question, but how much of that is politics and how much of it is real? Like, where if this bill wouldn't have gotten the attention it got, do you think a lot of these people would sign, or do you think they're no, just doing it? No, I think they signed on. Um, I think that if it wouldn't have gotten the attention, I think there's people out there that were just so grieved. Um, there were a couple of members on the public safety uh, committee that were very, like, I don't want to say distraught, but very, very concerned that that they went along with the chair. I mean, it's very difficult to r what we call roll the chair. So when the chair says we're voting this way, most of the people on the committee will follow the chair's recommendation. So in the assembly or in the in the the legislature, the chair has I don't want to say ultimate power, but a lot of yields a lot of power. So the chair says basically we're not supporting this bill. Then you either abstain or you vote no because you're not going to support the bill and roll the chair. But there were members that came up to me afterwards, and there was genuine grieving um, in their heart. I mean, one was a mom, and you know, one was a dad, um, on the Democrat side of the aisle, and they're like, "I I hated not voting for this bill." And of course, I'm angry, so I'm like, "Why didn't you vote for it, anyways?" Um, but the chair yields a lot of power, and so I think there were some that would have got on it anyways before it got to the assembly. I had Democrat co-authors, the Bay Area, San Francisco, uh, Steve Bradford, right here in in the Los Angeles County area was a co-author on the bill. He, he wasn't forced into it, coerced, and he thought it was good policy. Um, but in the assembly, it was a different story. So there were leaders that kind of made everybody vote a certain way in, in the assembly. In the public safety committee, yeah. And in then the, the governor stepped in and the speaker stepped in, and they're the leaders above that leader. So it worked in our favor. Do you think things are going to change going forward after what happened? Or do you think this is just a one-off situation 
we're going to forget about it in three months or six months after the governor hopefully signs your bill? <laughs> or do you think this is a shift in California? I would hope it's a shift in California. I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. I wouldn't be able to tell you that. I would hope it's a shift. I would hope that people got a taste of what happens in that building. And if they really paid attention on a day-to-day -day basis, they would see chaos sometimes at best. The, I would challenge everybody watching this um, broadcast to watch the last few nights of session where they cram through hundreds of bills um, uh, n you know that have just been you know crammed through the building and how it's done uh, it's a uh, very disturbing to think that these bills are traded for other bills. It's an interesting process to watch, and if you just get on Cal Channel and you watch the the episodes that take place specifically at the last um, the last few days of session, it's uh, it's pretty eye opening and pretty scary. And that's what we have been covering on this show. We've been covering a lot of the laws that are passing, and we're trying to figure out. A lot of them may not make common sense, or they're not very well thought through or, or consulted with the right people in the industry. So we had, we actually covered the, how the uh, landscapers, they have to use lawnmowers and, you know, um, they have to go electric. Electric. And, and this is creating a big problem for these people that are mainly Hispanic immigrants, very hardworking, and they have to spend four times the money, three times the money to buy this new equipment. And um, we're wondering how much uh, thinking goes through these laws and who is proposing them, why they're getting proposed, why they're getting passed. So, you know, go back to the electricity piece. Um, so I represent a district that has the top three food producing counties in the world. You eat food, it, the majority of it comes from my district. Um, and we have a wide variety. We're the top three food producing counties in the world. And then I produce, my district produces 70% of the fossil fuel or oil and gas wow. and 53% of the renewable energy, wind and solar. You know, the governor talks about transition and, you know, getting off of, you know, fossil fuels and you hear all that argument all the time in climate change. But we're transitioning, but we're transitioning to foreign countries. So um, a lot of our oil now, like California gets 50, over 50% 50 of Ecuador's produced oil. And it comes here via big ships. And what we did is we ran a piece of legislation, SB 15, because I looked at the output of these big ships as far as carbon emissions and global warming. And I thought, there is no way, that just can't be true. And so we actually did some research. The um, bringing that oil to Californians, because we still consume 1.8 million barrels of oil every single day. Californians consume that. It's a demand issue and a supply issue. When this oil comes from Ecuador, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, these other countries, they only track the 12 miles off our coastline. They don't track point of origin to point of dest destination and the emissions that spewed into our atmosphere. They only track that 12 miles. So it looks like it, we're reducing emissions, but we're not. So if you track from point of origin to, to point of destination, it's like 2,500 uh, times more emissions than we do producing energy here. 2,500% or? Percent, 2,500% more. So 25 times more. Yes. Wow. Yes. So for instance, 100 million metric tons versus 30 metric tons. It's ridiculous, the number. But the way they s disguise that they forget about the emissions through the, through the journey of getting here. But 12 miles off our coast on California waters, they just track it. So the other thing is, is the governor had that big windfall oil tax special session thing because the price of oil was going up and we, couldn't, we tracked that as well. Now we don't control the price of oil in California. It's controlled by OPEC. It's a globally traded market. 
and it's not our producers here in California setting the price of gas. So he has this big, you know, windfall profits tax for the oil industry. And we started using VesselFinder.com to track these ships that are bringing us oil that we use every day. And we saw some of them circling outside that 12 miles. Couldn't figure out, why are they staying out there for days? Like six days, just spewing, just circling, circling, circling. And the price of gas go, or the price of oil goes up, they beeline it to our shoreline and they make more money off of us. Wow. It's just interesting, all the things that happen. So do they research it? Do they follow policy? They don't. Um, somebody generates an idea and brings it to them and they think it's a great a idea, idea. And, and they just write the legislation regardless of who it hurts. Do you guys get a chance to talk to each other? Do you talk to the Democrats that are passionate because uh, of these issues? Like do they, or do you, do you guys have no chance to talk to each other in a sense like, when you have a study like that, can you share it with others and see what they think about it? Mm -hmm. Or do they just say, you know, we don't want to talk to you because you're probably pro-oil and we're not? So we do. We have great conversations. I've had great conversations with people who are really very anti-oil, um, but it makes sense to them. You know, when you make sense and you have facts to back it up, like I had a meeting with one of the chairs of the Energy Committee, and he says, you know, where'd you get this information? And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's at the California state website at energycalifornia.gov. I mean, it's a state website. You can get the pie chart that shows where we get our oil. Um, we're bulldozing down the Amazon rainforest. He goes, ah, it's not true. And I showed him where we got our oil and I showed him pictures of indigenous Indians in Ecuador trying to wash clothes in an oil-filled stream of water because there's no environmental requirements there. There's no labor requirements there. I showed him the stuff on Red State. I don't know if you've done anything on that about the Democrat Republic of the Congo and how they get cobalt and you have these yeah. little kids going way down. There's videos That's, of them yeah. and actually... It's and illegal China, here in and China, China is, is a part of that and of controlling that. that. And when you look at these little... We don't, we don't drop little kids 30 feet down into the ground to, with no oxygen and then bring them back up where they're barely breathing and, you know, extract cobalt so we can have batteries. I mean, we don't... We don't do that here in California. We have regulatory process, the stringent, most stringent in the world to produce our energy, whether it's wind, solar, or oil and gas. And we have a labor requirements that we have to follow a labor code um, or there's punitive punishment for that. Um, we, um, but other countries don't have the same regulatory or labor requirements that we do. So what happens when you're talking to these people that are influential in a sense, but they might not really know the details of what is happening behind the scene, even though, you know, they're passionate about doing things in a green way. But when you share this information, wh why do you think this is happening? Are they too trusting of people around them? I just don't think that, I mean, if you're surrounded by an echo chamber and everybody's giving you the same information, then you assume all of that's true. If you have a, a discussion with people on the other side of the aisle or the other side of the issue, um, then it's, it brings a, a discussion. I think government is balanced, is best when it's balanced. If, I mean, if Republicans were all in control, I don't think it would be all that great either. I think that there would be a lot of people that were left behind, just like with Democrats in the supermajority that we have in California. I think a lot of times common sense is left behind on some policies because they're in an echo chamber. This is a good idea. Let's ban this. Let's ban that. Let's create a uh, you know, let's make franchisees, McDonald's franchisees responsible to the, you know, McDonald's corporation, which is, you're just an independent small hamburger 
place, McDonald's, you're a franchisee, why would you be responsible and share in liability with the major corporation of the whole McDonald's organization? Does it make any sense? But they th they're in an echo chamber, and that's just one example. Human trafficking, you're in an echo chamber in Reggie Jones Sawyer's office. This is all about putting black and brown people in, in, in prison. It's not. It's all about, they make it sound like it's all about making sure that the, the victim of somebody human trafficked is going to be wrapped up in this. That's not. Have a conversation with the district attorneys who show you that, you know, like Alameda County, former Alameda County District Attorney Nancy O'Malley, they prosecuted 850 human trafficking cases, led charges against one trafficked victim, and then after two months dismissed the charges, realizing that she was in a bad situation. So, but they don't have conversations with those people. They only have conversations with people who agree with them. So when you're in an echo chamber, you tend to just listen to what you, there's no opposition to your, to your, you say, I could say, it'd be a great idea to wear blue ties. And if I'm around people that like blue ties, I'm never going to go, no, hey, you should probably wear a red one once in a while. You know, it's, it's that simple, if it makes sense. Now, do you have any other thoughts for our audience? Um, just engage, engage in the political process, meet your legislators, find out, go to, you know, you, there's websites out there where you can go and look at their voting record on issues that you care about that are labeled. Um, votesmart.org is a great site you can go to. You can, whether it's, you know, abortion to the environment to business policy or whatever, you can, you know, you can find out how your legislator is voting on those issues that mean something to you. I mean, I ran a piece of legislation to let the money follow the student when it went to, you know, when it comes to schools. Because I ran into a lady in Los Angeles who has an autistic son, and he was just being babysat or warehoused at our traditional public schools. And she got an extra job to get him coding, and now his, the way his autistic brain works, he can do coding like you and I could never do, and he'll be successful and have upward mobility because of that and never have to have his mom worry about him because he'll generate his own, right? He could hire a caretaker to help take care of him. But, and the Constitution guarantees you um, the right to a free education, but it doesn't say it has to happen in a government building. Um, so we should have parents be able to pick the places where our children go to school. And they killed that bill because of the powerful California Teachers Union. So there's good policy that gets introduced in, in Sacramento. It's just right now there's an echo chamber where nobody has an opposition opinion. You mentioned to engage. Yes. You know, and, and we had Senator Umberg here and I asked him, does it work when people reach out to their senators? And he said for people to reach out to their senators, do you guys get calls and what does it, does it have an impact when somebody reaches out? It does, out? it does. And it's not just the phone call. I mean, if your senator puts an advertisement up that, you know, I'm gonna do a backpack giveaway for schools, go to that backpack giveaway and introduce yourself to that person. You know, you represent me and I noticed that you voted for this bill and I wanna thank you for that. Or you represent me and I noticed you voted against human trafficking for sex, you know, for minors. Uh, that's inappropriate and you probably shouldn't have done that. So if you were gonna go see, I don't know, Mia Bonta, Isaac Bryan, I mean, you would ask, I would ask them as a parent, why would you not support a bill to make human trafficking of minors, um, you know, a serious felony in the state of California? And if you went to go meet with um, Liz Ortega in the San Jose area, you'd say, thank you. You know, I appreciate you supporting that bill. So there are, whatever your passion is, you know, you might be a, a business owner and you have a concern about minimum wage going up. You might be an employee where you want minimum wage going up. So whatever you're passionate about, you should meet with your legislator and definitely speak to them and not just let the isolated voices in Sacramento that are lobbyists and things like that have an influence on policy. Do you have any other advice for our audience? 
I would love to have your audience follow us at Shannon Grove CA. I'm Shannon Grove CA on Instagram, Shannon Grove CA on Twitter, and then Shannon Grove, Senator Shannon Grove on Facebook. And we put um, updates all the time on how people can engage and contact their legislator um, or engage or sign a petition on certain pieces of legislation. And I think most all legislators do something like that. So engage on social media and engage in public events where your legislator is present. Senator Shannon Grove, it was great to have you on California Insider. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I look forward to watching it. If you like the show and our content, you should go to insiderca.com and sign up to our newsletter because we never know what can happen with social media and other platforms in terms of distributing our content. If you'd like to come on the show and be an insider, you can reach out to us at cainsider at epochtimesca.com. Again, it's cainsider at epochtimesca.com. We'd love to have you on the show to tell us what's going on in your field in California. Thank you for watching.